Hello, my name is Matthew Philbrick, host of The Real Game, a podcast by coaches for coaches. Welcome to The Real Game. Uh, this is actually a 10-Minute Tuesday episode that we're recording here today, but I have a feeling that things are going to go along because of the subject content that we're going to discuss. Uh, it's my privilege today to have a couple of guys on with me that I've known for a long time. They're actually both my nephews, and I'm going to give them a chance to introduce themselves in just a couple minutes. Uh, I decided to talk about something today that's it's kind of been a theme in a couple of my podcasts not necessarily the whole theme but it's come up over and over again a few times so i thought it would be a good chance to just zero in on this and kind of discuss it with um with my nephew devin and my nephew silas they will both have unique perspectives on this topic and the topic that we're going to discuss today is ways that coaches destroy the confidence of their players and I just wrote five things down. I know there's a, I know there's probably a lot more. And uh, I will say this. I when I'm discussing these things, I'm I'm mostly discussing it from a high school coach's perspective. Uh, Devin can can lend us a little bit of a different perspective because he's coached at a little bit of a higher level than I have um, at the college level. And then Silas, you you've been an athlete, so you'll be able to speak into some of these as well. I don't think that coaches ever intend to do any of these things. I don't think it's our intention to, you know, rip into our athletes' confidence and and make them doubt themselves or any of that stuff. But I do think that it happens, and I think that it's something that we have to be careful about and, and aware of. So as I was sitting uh, around on Friday and Saturday a little bit, I just wrote five things down that that – kind of stuck out to me and we're going to discuss those. But before we do, I'm going to give Devin and Silas a chance to introduce yourself a little bit. Just give us a little bit of a, a brief um, introduction to yourself and where you're at and kind of zero in on your on your experience, maybe coaching or, or as a player. And Silas, we'll start with you. Sure. Yeah, no, uh, I uh, live in Maine now. Um, and I've grown up in sports. Obviously, I have seven brothers, so sports is kind of a main theme of growing up and, and everything that we did. Um, we we kind of always had our own adaptations of every sport that we played together. We'd make up our own. But then also, I grew up playing um, in homeschool leagues and then church softball and men's leagues basketball. And then now up here in Maine, we have a, a men's softball team, and I played my high school year for a Christian school. So. I've, I've always played sports. And then also uh side note, uncle Matt was the inspiration for me also kind of starting my own podcast and, and doing that. So um, that's kind of where I'm, I'm at in a little bit of my, my background. Yeah. And I'll just give a little plug for your podcast. Uh, Silas has a podcast called the junk drawer and uh, it's a good, it's a very unique podcast. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like the Seinfeld of podcasts, you know, like the show about nothing. <laughs> Um, it's the <laughs> podcast about nothing. So you you never really know what you're going to get. Um, so definitely yep. tune into that. If you're on Spotify or, or Apple podcast or wherever you listen to that, it's called the junk drawer podcast. Silas does a good job with that. Um, so nice. thanks for that thank Silas you. and Devin, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. I've been uh, listening off and on here to this podcast and 
glad to be on. Um, for a background for me, uh, I was a three-sport athlete in high school. I uh, actually played for the local high school where Silas is located in Maine. I uh, played football, uh, basketball, and baseball. Baseball being my sport as an athlete, really, that I loved. And the others I, I played because I could, if that makes sense. And I think <laughs> we get players like that a lot of times. Yeah. Um, but right out of high school, started uh, doing some coaching at the Pee Wee level with my brother and um, dabbled in it here and there. <clears throat> and then uh, spent... 10 years of uh, the last 10 years before I am where I am currently uh, at Clark Summit University in Northeast Pennsylvania, a small division three school uh, working there, went to school there and through some just way things happened. I ended up coaching baseball there a year of assistant coaching and then two, two full seasons of uh head coaching. I had the privilege of bringing the team through the COVID year era, which was interesting in and of itself. And everybody don't need to rehash hash that for any reasons. But um, yeah, so I have a unique perspective as I guess as a player, mostly, and then as a coach, um, just almost coaching in a, in a way that uh, wasn't my drive. It wasn't my main focus, but was a necessity at the time and, and really enjoyed the time I did spend um, not currently coaching right now, though I have some young children and that could be in the future for sure. Mm -hmm. Anybody that coached through the COVID years deserves an award. So good job <laughs> for doing choice. that. Difficult times for sure. I can speak from experience. All right, listen, we're going to dig right into it. Um, Number one, and I, I sent these to you guys ahead of time, so you had a chance to look over them a little bit and uh, just see if I was nuts or not, or if I'm 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 on on some of these. But number one, and, and these are in no particular order. But number one, the first way that coaches destroy the confidence of their players is through constant criticism. Coaches who excessively criticize their players without providing constructive feedback can destroy their confidence. When players are constantly told what they're doing wrong without guidance on how to improve it can erode their self-confidence and make them doubt their abilities. So I think for me, the key here might be the constant part. Like every mm -hmm. athlete deserves criticism, right? Um, I think though, if you do it too much, you can definitely start to erode their confidence and maybe they start to feel a little bit like maybe you're picking on them or they can never do anything right. Or And, and probably this is more apt to be true at the youth and high school level. Devin, I don't know so much about the college level. Like, I feel like there's a line that you probably cross there. Once kids get into college, maybe some of these things aren't quite as applicable to that age group where maybe there's more of an expectation to win or more pressure to win. But what do you think? Um, in terms of the college level, I think that there is just a, a larger sense of seriousness. Um, in the sense that you're most likely have been recruited. I mean, even at a D at a D three level, you're being recruited. Um, your sport is probably already become what you're focused on and it's individualized in the sense that well, I'm a baseball coach. So my guys are coming in, they're, they're baseball players. They're not, right, I mean, they may right. have played other sports, but they're focused, you know, D three is not necessarily like there's a huge discrepancy within talent in D three. You can have, I mean, I've seen high school teams that will destroy D3 teams, and then there's D3 teams that probably could compete at 
high level D2. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that to say, I think at the college level, um, the players are more serious um, because you're doing stuff like four or 5 a.m. practices, class, practice after class, you know, traveling to games. There's a high level of dedication uh, that has to be there or, you know, you're not going to succeed. So I think when it comes down to, you know, maybe criticism, they're a different breed of player Mm -hmm. Um, at the high school level. Just think of your top one, top two player. That's who's going to college, maybe top five. If you have a really good program, if you're talking, I'm still talking in baseball terms, a larger group here, but, um, you know, so there's maybe a little less um, you have to worry about because of the seriousness of the player. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my experience, I think still you need to be very careful um, how you're how you're going about your criticism. I think you're right. I think that there has to be criticism or you're not really coaching. You're just letting them go have fun, which, you know, there's leagues for that. But that's not what college is definitely about. Um, but I think you're right. If it's constant and berating. Um, I had written down, you know, this, there's a tendency of coaches that love to like imitate Bobby Knight or something Mm -hmm. where it's just like, I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be vocal. And some coaches are like that and that's okay. But if it's not come back to, you know, a teaching point or, Hey, I, you know, I'm writing you because of X, like I see this, that you need to improve. And the only way I see you doing it is if I constantly, but it comes back to a conversation and really a mentor time. And if that's not being taken uh, for the player, I, I think they're going to see it more as negativity and it will just start to emotionally break them down. Um, and I just, I've seen that happen as an assistant coach um, where, you know, players are, are, are brought to almost tears because they can't, please or they can't you know work towards what's being said or they can't accomplish it so there's no there's a you know not a level of of a realistic ability to hit the criticism yeah no that's a good point and i think that something to keep in mind is is there has to be we have to remind ourselves and our players of what their potential is and look i'm doing this for your good to help you reach your potential um ultimately that's the goal right to help these players be the best that they can be and have them fit into the larger team um the, the larger team picture so uh i agree with you wholeheartedly on that and and silas i'd just like to have you weigh in on this for a second too from a from a player's perspective or even mm-hmm. you know a lot of these a lot of these can apply to just life you know yeah, um, yeah you, said you came from a large family and and how would how would you have felt if somebody was constantly criticizing you or uh, if you felt like it was, you know, instead of constructive criticism, it was always with the intent to tear you down. Right. Absolutely. No, like essentially growing up with competitive brothers, we were, you know, we were beyond each other all the time. And uh, I think the difference that can come there is the other side of the criticism is this constructive criticism. And I think that is extremely important, constructive criticism, because you're criticizing with a purpose of building up. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always had like in in the sports I did play, I always had great coaches, you know, mostly as my dad. And then also the coach I had in basketball, he would constructively criticize and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. And here's why. And here's how to fix it. And I think that's extremely important. Um, But when it when it's out of an attitude to always 
criticize and tear down, like you said, it, it gets very demoralizing and it takes away any drive and motivation to get better. Um, part of like growing up with brothers, we were always trying to beat each other. We we're always trying to be better than each other. We'd go watch YouTube videos of how to get better. And uh, when you lose that drive to want to become better because mm-hmm. you're always being criticized, um, especially if like, I, I would say I'm, I was a little more sensitive um, growing up. And so I always was very eager to please. And when I'd get criticized, I would have the tendency to almost close down to that criticism instead of let it motivate me to be better. And right. that's, I think, what can happen, especially, I think, in the high school time, you know, lots going on at that time in your life, trying to figure things out. And sports, in a lot of ways, while it is a very awesome area to grow because it's a microcosm of life, you don't want to destroy the only, you know, joy that a kid might be getting. Um sure that might be the outlet of sports. And that I think that's where coaches can have a huge impact because um, just by the fact of the matter of the world we live in, there's a lot going on in kids' lives and sports can be an awesome opportunity for coaches Mm -hmm. to step in and help build them up constructively while criticism is important, but do it in the right way. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think as coaches, we need to know our players too. Like Mm -hmm. certain players can handle maybe a little more criticism than others. Uh, Certain players just learn differently. You know, I've had players over the years where, you know, I could, you know, I'll use the word yell, not in a demoralizing way, but I could maybe yell at them a little bit more than than another player. They might not handle that as well, you know, Uh, and their tolerance for that might not be quite as much. So uh, good points on on both your part. So let's move on to the second one here. The next one is playing favorites. Favoritism can significantly impact a player's confidence when coaches consistently show preference to certain players regardless of performance, it creates an unfair environment. Players who feel overlooked or unfairly treated may doubt their skills and struggle to perform at their best. I don't, I don't think any coach ever intentionally shows favorites or plays favorites, but I think it's something we definitely need to be careful of because you naturally, at least I speak for myself, I naturally gravitate towards certain kids or certain personalities and maybe mesh a little bit better and with other kids, maybe not so much. Maybe it's just a personality thing. Uh, maybe they find me abrasive. Maybe I find them abrasive or whatever. But you have to figure out how to make it all work within the team and not show favorites because it's just it's a way to lose kids. And it's a way for them to just check out if they think you're playing favorites. Um, something to be extremely careful of. Devin, how, how did you handle that when you were a coach? Yeah, I read through this. I think this is a great topic. I have a lot of things that came to mind. Um, I would go a couple of things here. Um, At the high school level, especially, this has a tendency to be the coach's kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And not just because it's the coach's kid, but it has a tendency for players to assume it of the coach's kid, if that makes sense. So I think those that are out there listening that are either, you know, are coaching or coming up where they're going to be coaching their kid. It's, it's a hard position to be in. Um, And on top of this, I'll just put a little thing in here because my dad will probably listen to this, but (laughs) he was my coach as a peewee, like all, all dads are right. I mean, if you've got some talent and free time, you're a coach in your peewee and younger leagues, that's just how it has to be. Um, So I played for him in pretty much any sport, especially in basketball up to like seventh grade. And so I was the coach's kid. 
And he was the exact opposite. He was so concerned about it looking to be player favoritism towards me that I was like, made the starting five. But when the sixth man came off the bench, I'm the one that went to the bench. <laughs> and he is just jokingly told me after the fact, you know, since we've gotten older, I really shouldn't have done that. You yeah. know, you were good enough to be out there. But I was just so concerned. You know, so there can be a level of that, too, where, you know, if you have a, a your child who's talented enough to be there to have the confidence to, you know, allow them to be there. I think that's just something mm -hmm. in, in my experience for coaches listening to to pay attention to and also be smart. Don't play favorites to your kids. You know, you, parents are wise. We know how good our kids are. So, you know, be be work within what you got yeah, <laughs> and, be, yeah. and be smart about it for sure. Matt, yeah. you've, I mean, you've coached your kids. You understand that. Um from the college level, there is an element to this too, though. Um, not, maybe not so much, you know, obviously the chances that you're coaching your kid may be smaller, not impossible, but smaller. But uh, think in terms of your number one recruit um, in the in the college world, you put most of your coaching time into recruitment. Um, that was something coming in with limited experience in the college that I just didn't realize the time and the effort you find. I mean, you get attached to these kids and, you know, kids, they're adults at this point. But, you know, sometimes you've been working at it for two years from the time they were juniors. You're really trying to get these kids and and you lose it. And it's heartbreaking when you lose a guy or they, you know, they get, a, mm -hmm. put them, you know, at the D3 level, you get a better offer, you know, a D2 school comes in, scoops them up, or an NIA school comes in, it's offering them a scholarship, scoops them up. So you you have all this emotional invested energy in these guys. And then, you know, they come and maybe they weren't quite as good as you thought or, or you're working with them. And it's easy for players, um, maybe even especially the walk-on types or whatever, to just, well, you're, you're giving them the time because they're your recruit or, you right. know, this this or that so there is an element to that you got to be careful of now at the college level there's a little bit difference too because you're thinking in different terms but it is easy to you know have this relationship with a kid because you put this much time into them and then you know basically constantly give them the benefit of the doubt um yeah and really and really give them a little too much and i will say this too um that I've, I've been on both sides of this as a player and as a coach, coaches have recognized potential of their players that other players and especially parents don't. Um, and at the college level, like back to recruiting, you, you know, you've recruited somebody for a four year program and they come in as a freshman and depending on where you're, program is at you're really thinking down the road sometimes so you might be giving these guys chances seems like you're ignoring mistakes but it's because you see something that needs to be matured needs to be developed um and you're seeing that experience needs to happen and mm -hmm. with to get the experience you have to make the mistakes yeah. um so as a coach i mean if you know where you're going with something and you're getting accused of favoritism you know it is what it is. You got to have a thick skin to coach. That's mm -hmm. just the way it is. So, I mean, if you have a plan and you're going and you know, you're not just playing favorites because you know, the kid's your favorite kid, uh, you got to go for it. Um, and then one thing that I don't know if it really applies here, but I'm going to bring it up here because I've seen it happen. And in today's world of the helicopter parent, it's even more so coaches really need to be aware of manipulated, manipulating players and manipulating parents mm -hmm. because yep. they will always be at you and working not all players and not all parents but it seems to be more of a common thread you know can i butter up the coach i think it's always happened but to me it just seems to be even higher 
percentage yeah. now. If I butter up the coach, if I give to the boosters, if you have that in high school, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. And, but there, it's a tit for tat. They're expecting if I do this for you, then my, mm-hmm. my, my guy should be the first one in or at the starting five. So that's yeah. a really, especially for young coaches, I think you need to be aware of that, that not every parent and not every player is out to help you out. Yeah. Um, there's definitely an idea of they're out to get, and you can really fall down that that rabbit hole fast yeah. and get yourself into a real a real world of hurt if you if you're not careful. Yeah, definitely. I want to zero in on that for just a second. Um, it's interesting you bring that up. I, you know, I worked for Chick Fil A for a few years, and as weird as it sounds, every once in a while you would hear from from management and upper people. Sometimes you need to fire a guest uh, mm. or sometimes you need to fire a customer <laughs> because there's such a problem that they, you can no longer serve them adequately. You can no longer work together with them. And I think that applies to athletics, too. And I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say sometimes you need to fire a parent, especially at the high school level, because they can be such a problem. And I touched on this a little bit in my last episode. Parents for the most part, 95% of the time are great. But every once in a while, you can have that one parent that is such a problem that you either need to cut them loose or maybe their kids shouldn't even be on your team uh, because you can't ever come to a resolution because they they manipulate, they accuse, um, they you know make things up. So to your point, Devin, you're, you're exactly right. You need to be, on one sense, it's extremely hard to get away from ever being accused of playing favorites because as a coach, it's just going to happen at some point. Um, But you need to be very careful about uh, all the things you said, coaching your own kids um, because that perception is always going to be there. And parents that, that try to manipulate so that their players get more playing time or whatever is it's, it's a real thing. Silas, let you weigh in on this a little bit too. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, no, I think it it definitely is something that you see. I, I of course grew up with my dad um, who, when we would play in any sports where he was the coach, I would definitely say he was the flip side in, in a good way, um, where he would almost pick on us more, kind of like what you Devin said, not in, not in a negative way. I don't want to make it sound like he was harsh on us at all. It wasn't like that at all. Or we'd be playing sports and he would be officiating refing and he would definitely call things on his sons more strictly. And it was for obviously for the purpose of doing that. And I definitely coaches need to be careful in doing that. But in a lot of ways, I understand the, the fear just that there is that, Oh man, parents are going to view me as favoritism and all that. And uh, I was down South recently and every parent thinks that their kid is the best ever and has no problem telling the coach that that's the way. And, and are definitely trying to manipulate the, the circumstances. And you see that all the time. Um, I've also played on teams before where coaches would put in a certain player and as it, uh, the team just knew that that person was not the best person for that role, but because maybe they were a favorite of the coach or on paper, they looked the best or, you know, they had the most invested in them. So they had to, because they needed the playing time. And it gets very demoralizing to a team mm-hmm. when you know oh, this person is not the best person for this role, but they got the they they're going to be put into that position just because they are the favorite, and that yeah. can be all all those facets can be um, detrimental to sports. And I think some of them do have their place, but yet 
you know, you're very cautious. It's, a, it's kind mm-hmm. of playing with fire. Yep. Yep. Definitely. All right. Very good. Well, we're, we're cruising through on time here, so we need to go quickly over the next three, try to get them all in. I'm going to actually skip one and go down to my fourth one on the list, just in case we don't get to all of them. Uh, overemphasis on results. Coaches who excessively prioritize winning and results over player development and enjoyment can harm players' confidence. When the sole focus is on outcomes rather than the process of improvement, players may feel intense pressure to perform and fear making mistakes, leading to a decline in confidence. So I'll say this. Probably not every coach would agree with this. I don't even know if you guys agree with it or not. I think, though, especially in high school or youth sports, you can put too much emphasis on, and let's just say winning or results, as opposed to, like this says, player development or focus on enjoyment of the sport. Now, every coach should want to win. Winning is important. I think winning is biblical, right? There is there is something to be said that we should be strive to being the best that we can be and helping those that we're coaching be the best that they can be. But I think sometimes if we put too much emphasis on the winning, it can affect the other areas of what we're trying to accomplish. And Silas, we'll let you go first. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, of course, like I mentioned, I grew up in a very, very competitive family. And for us, winning was kind of everything. And um, you know, I always hated the line when people would say, oh, play to have fun. You know, we're just here mm-hmm. to have fun. And And I would always say, well, I do have fun winning, but I I, I do think you have to be careful with that when all that you care about is winning to the point of you will do no matter what to win. Right. And you have no matter. Right. Um, Like I played in a lot of sports where you play teams where all that they cared about was getting a a piece of plastic at the end that said first place Mm -hmm. and they would play dirty. They would be manipulative to the officiate um, refs, whether it was basketball, football, whatever. And it was like, okay, I, I want to have fun in what I'm doing. And if I am like just irritated the whole time because this team is dirty or nasty, I'm no longer having fun. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand how you're having fun when you so clearly are doing things that are wrong. And I think that that, that is where it kind of turns the corner. Yeah. Um, we play in a church softball league and it gets very competitive with some of the teams, which I love. But I, I like how my dad's focus really is on, okay, yes, we, we want to win every game we possibly can, but ultimately our team is a ministry. And also, you know, we are rep- being representative to not just our fans and a representative of our church, but also to other churches. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of the bigger picture. And then also kids, you know, when that is the only focus, especially if, because you might be coaching a team that you might not have the athletic stars. You just might have a, just by virtue of dynamics of players coming and going, you may have a team where you're on a down year, where you're on a rebuild year. And if all that your focus is on is winning and at no matter the cost, and that team just may not have the skill set to do it, all you're going to do is discourage them and put undue pressure on them to win. And I think that that can, again, I don't want to sound like, oh, everybody gets a trophy because that's not the mindset. I hate that Mm -hmm. mindset. But yet you do want to keep the joy that's there. Don't want to discourage when you might have that that circumstance. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no. It makes complete sense. Uh, Those are good thoughts. Devin, what do you think? I think that's good. Um, I would just put in, you know, keep it short, but um, winning 
should not be at the expense of your players. Yeah, um, absolutely. If it's at the expense of your teaching or at the expense of your mentorship or at the expense of your uh, testimony with your players mm-hmm. or without even opposing teams, then it's gone too far. Um, obviously, at a college level, winning is maybe more so. Um, thankfully, at the school that I was, that wasn't really the the mindset. We're still at, still a Christian school and had different ideas, even though winning was part of it. Um, but I played a lot of teams where, man, winning was it. The coach, you could tell the coach's job was tied to their records, tied to their performance, tied to their recruiting. And it's it's a different attitude. The the players are different. The the atmosphere is different. So, yeah, it, winning cannot be at the expense of your players. Yeah, yeah. no, yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely right. All right. We have time for one more. We have about six minutes left before we're going to get cut off here. But I'm going to I'm going to just pick the last one here and then a couple short comments from both of you. Public humiliation. Coaches who publicly ridicule or embarrass their players can have a severe negative impact on their confidence. Uh, Publicly calling out mistakes or mocking players in front of teammates, spectators, or opponents can lead to feelings of shame and humiliation, undermining their self-esteem and belief in their abilities. So without taking a lot of time, this is something I've struggled with in the past, not ever intentionally to, to... you know, ridicule or embarrass somebody, but just the way I address players in front of others, um, making sure that I'm doing it respectfully, that I'm not, you know, if, if hard things need to be said, maybe doing it in private after a game, but never in public. So Devin, why don't you go first? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Matt. And, and uh, we have to, you've said it a few times and I have it been in my notes here written everywhere. It's just know your players. Um mm-hmm different players are going to be able to handle different levels of criticism, different mm-hmm. levels yeah. of, of work, different level of humiliation, whatever it is, they can handle it differently. Some are going to require a softer touch. Others are going to be motivated by that public ridicule. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to know them and that takes time and that takes effort on a coach's part. Um, it's easy to just show up and do the X's and O's and be done. And it's hard a lot of times to take the time to really get to know your players. So I think that's, that's key. You got to know your player. Um, and it, as far as expectations go, I think they need to be individual as well as team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that players that aren't, especially at the high school level, players that aren't maybe at the talent level or at the experience level of some of, of some other players, you know, you need to give them something to strive to that may be outside of the team's goal because they may be a younger player and they may not be starting. They may not even be playing. Um, So they have to have goals to hit. And then also, I mean, obviously your best player needs to have goals to hit too. Um, I'm of of the opinion that I think that your, your coaching goals for individuals and at a team should always just be a little bit out of reach um, because they should be striving for something, but that has to be coupled with praise and, acknowledgement when they reach that goal Mm -hmm. so don't just continually move the goal because it always needs to be out of reach that's true but you have to acknowledge when they've actually accomplished something you know obviously that the pinnacle of a team would be winning whatever championship it is at that time Mm -hmm. um but you may have a team that's not ready for that i was assistant coaching on a team where our opening meeting started out with you know our goal is to win it all let's just put it that way so i don't single out who it was but there's no way that team was winning at all unless yeah. the other 40 teams, you know, forfeited. Yeah. So you got to know your team and, and build towards something obviously, but 
yeah, I think you just, you need to have those goals. And the big one is know your players. You got to know your players and, and uh, work within what they can handle mm-hmm. as long and push them too, because I don't think that it's wise as coaches for us to just, um, you know, have a player that's more sensitive and never push them because they're sensitive. You need to teach them, you know, life, right. life hits hard. So it's okay to hit a little bit and mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, just within the, what they can handle. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. That's a good point. And that's a theme that's kind of come up over and over again is knowing your players and what they can handle and how they respond to things. Silas, you got 30 seconds to weigh in on this. Um, I know you said earlier you were a little more sensitive growing up and this, so this might hit you a little harder. I don't know, but what do you think about this? Yeah, no, um, I had a couple instances that I, I was going to, but they take long 30 seconds. So I'm just going to forego those, but I will just say, um, for me, it was situation, you know, time and place is extremely important and, and how it was approached with me. Um, yeah. there were times for sure where I needed that kind of public smack in the face, like, Hey, you know, you, you did this wrong and here's why, but yeah, it, it did kind of motivate me, but definitely for sure for me, after the fact, the the coach coming to me and saying, hey, this is what you did. Here's what you did and why in the correct time and place was way more impact or whether it was dad that was coming to me and say, hey, Silas, you know, here's what you did wrong there. And here's why. And so saying, hey, you know, this is what you did in the moment because sure. I would tend to flare up and have an attitude at that point. I think mm-hmm. that's where it can go in the other way is that you might spark a bad reaction, a bad attitude that if handled in the right situation, you wouldn't have to then deal with that whole nother animal. Right, right. All right. Well, hey, I'm just going to read the last one where we don't have time to discuss it. But the last one I had was unrealistic expectations. Um, Setting unrealistic expectations can be detrimental to a player's confidence. So just some food for thought there for people that are listening. Devin, Silas, thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate you guys. Um, I appreciate you as as men and as parents and as friends. Um, Thanks for being on today and for giving us some insight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Obviously, time got the best of us today, but I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Game. I want to leave you today with this quote by legendary basketball coach Pat Summitt, and the quote is this, You can't always be the most talented person in the room, but you can be the most competitive. So good luck, coaches, and coach on.